Welcome back to the Mind Your Business podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carmetria Burton. I have a really exciting episode for you today. Joining me is podcast host and author, Elaine Fluker. Elaine recently published a book titled, Get Over, I Got It. How to Stop Playing Superwoman, Get Support, and Remember that Having It All Doesn't Mean Doing It All Alone. Elaine also has an amazing podcast titled, Support is Sexy which features interviews with more than 500 diverse and inspiring women entrepreneurs from around the world who candidly share the ups and downs of their entrepreneurial journeys, where they started, when they struggled, and how they still made it happen. Today, we speak about how to ask for help, the importance of not doing it alone, and empowering yourself through your community. Take a listen. I'm so excited about my guest today. In fact, she is the one that inspired me to be a podcast host. I was on her podcast several years ago, Support is Sexy, and I'm so glad to have her here today. And I can now add author to her title. So welcome to the podcast, um, author Elaine Fluker and host of the Support is Sexy podcast with your new book, Get Over, I Got It. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. And yes, you were one of my early guests on the podcast. I'm so happy to talk to you then. And it's always great to catch up. I'm glad that you're here. Um, And I know you had talked about this book years ago. I'm so glad and just so proud of you that you were able to birth the book. Um, I've seen you on social media. I've looked at some of your interviews and I actually have the book. So I'm excited. This is a conversation that so many women um, need to have and a book that so many of us need to read. Get over. I got it. I want to ask, what inspired the book? You know, I attended this workshop in 2015 called Momentum in New York. I was in New York at the time, and it was a personal development workshop. It's in New York and L.A., I believe, D.C. also, maybe Atlanta. But it's like these leaders of different industry, from actors to politicians to writers and editors and all these other people who were go-getters and ambitious and New Yorkers, you know, so there's a little bit of drive there. Uh, and the thing that I recognized the most, well, actually, it's more so I saw in them a reflection of myself. So two things that were hardest for us to ask for were love and support. And I mean like crying, don't make me do it, or I feel so uncomfortable, or it's hard to even say it or even to admit it. And I remember thinking, wow, I think I kind of feel like that. And then of course it was my own experience whenever I had to stand up and say something about asking for support for whatever I was doing. So that was kind of the first layer that was peeled back of this idea of, you know what, you've been going through life kind of always being the driver, always having that, as they say, masculine energy, which isn't a gender related thing. It's just, you know, the way we move kind of thing. And nothing's wrong with having that, but I just was not in touch at all with my more feminine energy, which is usually the one of receiving and birthing and acceptance and those kind of things. It was just drive, drive, drive all the time, which can lead to stress, frustration, lack of fulfillment, all these other things that a lot of us experience and don't realize why when we're being ambitious and we're going after it and we're go-getters, but what we don't often realize and what I didn't realize until that experience and momentum is that we're not open to support along the way. In fact, not even open to, even if it comes in our lives, we don't even know how to accept it, how to recognize it or accept it. So that's what sort of started this um, idea of 
first supported sexy and then doing the interviews with fantastic women like yourself over the course of, well, at this point, nearly 800 interviews, uh, but hundreds of conversation with women all around the world, leaders, entrepreneurs, other uh, drivers of industry, and just hearing the stories of support for all of you and recognizing, wow, even the most ambitious women have to learn how to get over, quote unquote, I got it. So that's the idea of the book, getting over what I call I got it syndrome, which is, you know, every time someone asks us support, the first thing our reaction is, I got it. It's okay, I got it. No, 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 I got it. You know, whatever version of I got it you use, we just do it sort of as a trigger response as opposed to thinking, could this be something that really supports me in this time? Mm -hmm. I love that. You're right. I think I got it is just so programmed in so many of us as, as super women that that's our first response. Oh, I got it. I'm good. Mm -hmm. No problem. I got it. Exactly. I got it. But how do you, you know, as a woman that is doing so much like yourself, how do you even know when you need help? Because sometimes we don't know what the ask is. That's a great question. I think having the pause is such a good tool. It's a simple tool. It sounds like, okay, well, what else do you need to do? And of course, there are other things. But I think sometimes we don't even pause for a moment and think, is this a possibility? Could this not even, is this a possibility? Could this create some other possibility for me? Which I know sounds heavy. So it just, just pause for a second. If the support comes in or there's an opportunity for you, maybe you just wait a second, think about it, assess it. You don't have to respond. I got it right in the moment. Are you saying I got it just because it's what you've always done or because you don't want to bother anybody or because you're afraid to say that you need support? And, you know, for women, I always say, especially if you're in corporate spaces and that kind of thing, admitting that you want support, you kind of have the weight of, well, what will they think about me? And will this stop me from advancing? You know, there are reasons that we might automatically jump into, I got it, but we just have to take a second, pause and think this through. And what I like to share, and I mentioned this in the book, is this idea of thinking of the word help as an acronym. Um, so first, the H, having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. For a lot of us as women, and especially ambitious or successful women or women who are trying to make our own dent in the universe, we feel like in order to prove that whatever we have really matters, we have to say that we did it all alone or do it all alone or show on social media like we're doing it all alone, which none of us really does, right? I think if COVID has taught us anything, it's that we are all connected, whether we want to be or not, right? So having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. The E is to learn how to make empowered ask. Um, so like you said, how do you know when you need, need support? Well, how do you make the ask? How do you ask empowering questions? So let's say questions that aren't like, why am I so stupid? Why haven't I gotten a promotion? Why did this person get uh, the promotion as opposed to me? Those, aren't, those are self-defeating questions. Empowering questions are questions like, what can I do to advance in my career? What's something that I might be able to learn? Maybe the question is even, how did I make a mistake on this part of the journey and what can I do differently moving forward? What works for me? I had a conversation with a girlfriend just yesterday and we were both talking about getting to that age where we're like, I don't think I'm not doing that anymore. That doesn't work for me anymore. So even something that right worked for you before, it might not work anymore. And that's okay because you're growing and evolving and aging and all these other things. So what are the empowering questions? So the L is the idea of living the question and letting go of the how. So I think for a lot of us, Carmetria, you know, we like to plan and make sure things happen and have a sense of how it's going to happen. You know, it's very hard for us to let go of the how and sort of have this space of 
trust and surrender. That's something that I'm still practicing, which isn't to say don't have a plan, but have your plan, work your plan, but be open to the possibilities. And then the part live the question is something I got from this woman, Patricia Moreno, who I interviewed on episode 26 of the Support of Sexy podcast. And she talked about this idea of being courageous enough to live the question. So a lot of us, I think, are uh paid honestly or respected or known for having the answers as ambitious women or moms, caretakers, you know, other people, leaders in our church, leaders in our community, we tend to have the answers or be problem solvers, if you will. But it's hard for us a lot of times to just live the question. So one of the things I actually did recently, I think it was probably, it was this summer, maybe last month, in my journal, I wrote down all the questions I'm living right now. And I tried not to answer them which was very hard, right? Even if I was like, oh, you know what I could do? No, no, no. What is the question? So it might be something like, you know, I, how can I speak at more corporations? How can I have my message of my book reach 1 million women? How can I do, you know, personal things? I mean, everything I'm talking career, but everything from relationship to anything else. How can I get closer with my girlfriends who most of whom live out of town? What are some of the, just a list of questions, random questions. And then I just left it. And I said, these are the questions that I'm living right now. So for you, anyone who's listening, it could be something specific. It could be one thing. It could be several things. The thing is not to always try to immediately answer the question or feel, I should say, feel pressured to answer the question. If the answer comes to you right away, that's great. But sometimes it doesn't, right? And we got to kind of create some space. And I, I like to compare it to a real example of just like, say, if you're someone who is trying to get pregnant or you're thinking about pregnancy and all of a sudden you every woman you see is pregnant it's like oh my god there's so many pregnant women in the world or if you're like me you want a red jeep wrangler i think that's going to be my next car and all of a sudden right all i see is red jeep Every, everybody has a red jeep well no it's just because you're heightened right your awareness is there now and that's all your mind is noticing your mind has been set to see these things that are on your mind so the same is true with this idea of living the question and then the P is, as I mentioned a couple of times, believing in the possibilities. So this framework or anything that we talk about today, you know, you can't hear it and then be like, nah, that ain't gonna work. Well, that's not real. I don't understand, or that won't work for me, or I don't have time to even pause to say, am I saying I got it just because? You gotta believe in the possibilities. And for all of us, the possibilities are just, you know, endless. You never know how it's gonna happen. So that's the way I say to think about making that empowered ask or asking the question, as you mentioned, or knowing when you might need to pause and need support. Having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone is the H, the E, asking empowering questions, the L, let go of the how and live that question. And then the P is believing in the possibilities. Yep. And I really like that framework because it stands for a reminder mm -hmm. that you should call on whenever you feel the resistance to support, help. Having it all doesn't mean doing it alone, ask empowering questions, let go of the how and believe in the possibility. So right. that really helps us kind of work through it. And I like that. I think that's important to have a process to get our minds around as we try to work through these things. Mm -hmm. So what would you say to women that say, you know, asking for help makes me appear vulnerable, weak, not prepared. Um, not qualified, how do we get rid of that stigma? 
Well, first, I like to acknowledge that there are reasons that we might feel this way, right? So I always try to uh, acknowledge that and mention, for example, at least here in the United States, women still make less than men for most of the positions that are that we are hired for. And I think it's what 89 cents to a dollar, maybe. And then if you're a woman of color, it's even less. So black women make less, women of um, Latina descent make less. Uh, Native American women make even less to the dollar for, that every man makes. Not our fault. We didn't set up the system like that. It, it is what it is right now. Hopefully pay equity is something in our near future. But for those reasons, we might have, whether we're conscious of it or not, this idea of, well, if I ask for support or if I look like I don't know how to do something, it might be held against me. So I always want to acknowledge that and not say this is something that's coming out of nowhere for us. Not that it's an excuse, but again, just an acknowledgement. That said, we have to think, though, depending on your environment or what the situation is, is that the truth or is that just a belief? Because sometimes it is just a belief that someone's going to think you're not qualified or someone's going to see you as weak or people are going to think they can't depend on you or whatever the, the suggestion is. We have to decide, is it real or is it a belief? If it's a belief, we can combat that with some of the things that we've already talked about and thinking of how we can ask for support and be courageous. And I will say, if it's a woman who's saying that's going to make me look vulnerable, it is. That's the idea, right? A lot of people now, I'm sure in your, you can speak more than I can in the corporate space, especially, but overall, I think more leaders, thankfully, are trying to tap into their vulnerability, lead with vulnerability, or at least be open to other people in the organization being vulnerable when they need to and to ask for support. So if not, if not now, I don't know when is the time for us to lean into vulnerability. And vulnerability is not weak. It's openness. It's being honest, right? It's, it leads to so many other things that aren't about weakness, right? So that's that's one thing. And then the other part of that is, like I said, if it's a, whether it's a belief or if it is true that you're in a, an organization or a relationship or anything like that, where if you do ask for support, the person will judge you or may think you're weak or all these other things, then we need to assess the relationship, right? You know, is this a, an environment that I need to be in? Is this healthy for me? Can I grow here? Again, relationship, work, wherever that is. So if it's true, you know, you have maybe you have some experience that this has happened before and you've been held back in some way or something has been done to sabotage you or, again, it's been held against you. Well, then you look at the real ways that you can make a change. So that's what I would say. Decide first, is this real or is this a belief? And then take the steps that we just mentioned. Yeah. You know, and being authentic and vulnerable, in my opinion, are signs of good leaders because people like to know that you're real and that you struggle with things and that you're relatable. So, you know, I always tell women leaders, if you don't have it all, that's okay. People like to know that you're relatable, right? We're not machines. We're not mechanical. Um, you know, I just started a new position. And one of the things that the company does is they have something called I stories because people mm. want to get to know you. Mm -hmm. So it had less to do with my pro professional career and everything to do with who is Carmetria, not what, not what, she, what she does, but who is she? Mm -hmm. And people liked, they, they liked seeing that, you know, they like to know where I grew up, the things that I were afraid of, things that I've accomplished. So I think authenticity and vulnerability definitely are signs of a good leader. So ladies don't afraid to be vulnerable. I think that's, um, their strength in being vulnerable, in my opinion. 
One thing I um, always like to clarify too, and I mentioned this in the book as well, is we, we, we will say though, um, because there might be, you know, women listening who are in a space where they, their safety or something like that might be part of the issue. It, it might not be a work environment or it might be, a, you know, again, a toxic relationship or something like that. You want to make sure as much as you can that you're in a safe space, right, to be vulnerable. So say something where you feel threatened, that's a lot different than I'm afraid of what they'll think. You know, there's different degrees to it. So if you if you're in any kind of circumstance like that, you absolutely want to reach out for support. And there are organizations, of course, and a lot of resources um, that I mentioned in the book, and I'm happy also to share any uh, with Carmitra, which I'm sure we can put in the show notes for this episode. So we want to make sure we are saying be vulnerable, be authentic, and be open. If you don't feel safe, though, take immediate action. In chapter four, you talk about retiring your cape. Um, mm-hmm. I read an article um, probably about three weeks ago that said that was talking about how black women are tired, right? How we are just working so hard in our businesses. I think I put it on, on my Instagram page, how we're working so hard in our businesses in corporate America. And we're just burnt out because we have this need to strive towards excellence. I totally get that, Elaine. But I think a lot of the things that, you know, women leaders and women that um, that have positioned themselves well, a lot of that is self-imposed. You know, um, I tell women all the time, give yourself a little more grace. Mm-hmm. Give yourself a little more credit. Um, and the article talked about a woman, her mom had died. Her boss told her, take all the time you need. But she felt the need to work through it because she wanted to continue to show I'm a team leader. I can contribute. I got this, right? Self-imposed, right? She had the liberty to kind of fall back, but she didn't take it. And I think a lot of the things we put so much pressure on ourselves as women, because I think that's how we're raised, right? Show up, be excellent, don't bow out, right? So talk to us about why it's important to let go of that cape, because quite honestly, when they see your cape flapping in the wind, they're going to think you um, can handle so much more than you really than you really can, because you're making it look so easy. When really, if you peel back the, the pieces on the onion, you know, there are some things that may be dropping or slipping or falling. So why is it important? You know, one, how do we stop, you know, putting a lot of things on ourselves? It's self-imposed. I'm a firm believer in that. Why is it important to get rid of the cape? Right. Just let it go. Leave it in the dry cleaners for a few weeks. Just for a few weeks. That's I exactly, Carmiji, because it's hard for us to tell, especially Black women, leave the cape alone. Just, you know, they're like, but I got these kids and this job and this business and all these other things. So, but just like you said, Grace, for a little while, fold it up and give yourself some space, especially when someone is telling you that they would like for you to do that or they want you to do that or you, you have space to do that, or they understand that you're human. It sounds like this person, um, I think that you read about, was given the quote unquote permission, not that she needed the permission, but sometimes we need to hear, but because we're so stuck in this uh, cycle of proving things to ourselves. And again, the belief that, well, if I don't, this is what that means. Well, is that true? Or will you show that person that, hey, I need to take time in myself so I can come back 20 times better than if I keep pushing through. It's sort of like if you were to work straight through for 20 hours a day, well, yeah, you put 20 hours in, but probably four, I think studies have shown, we're good. 
you know, the others, you're, you're exhausted, you're probably making a lot of mistakes, you're not able to focus. So just from the stake, from a practical standpoint, that push through quote unquote thing isn't most of the times isn't good, not only for the work or whatever you're doing, but also for your health. So when you talk about why should we retire the cape or some motivation, hopefully, this can make you sick. And that's something that I talk about. This isn't just about, you know, we're talking about in the scope of both family and success or business or, or your position in your company, but also your personal health. So one of the things that I wrote about um, on LinkedIn actually was, uh, according to the CDC, due to prolonged stress, Black women have a life expectancy of three years less than their white counterparts. And a study published by the National Center of Biotechnology Information cites that Black women experience an accelerated biological aging in response to repeated or prolonged adaptation to subjective and objective stressors. So that's like you said, some of it, it just happens, others by choice, which makes us susceptible to chronic illness. So cardiovascular disease, obesity, diabetes, hypertension, all the things that we hear about, that the doctors warn us about, that we have events about to try to raise awareness about. We know all of this, but we're so programmed in a lot of ways to keep pushing and proving that it ends up going to this point where then then you're sick or even if you're not physically ill, you're str so stressed or you get migraines all the time or you're just unhappy, right? So there are a lot of reasons to think, is this is this good for me? Is this serving me? As my girlfriend and I say, yeah, is this serving me anymore? And look, when I was 20, girl, go, 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 go. Work till the end, right? I could stay all night and all day. And I actually remember I was working at Essence at the time. This was like 2001 or two. So quite a while ago, Monique Greenwood, um, who is the owner of Aquaba Mansions in several different cities, the bed and breakfast, but she was editor in chief at the time. I was entertainment editor and I was staying at work. I mean, I loved my job. I loved what I did. You know, I could have stayed there all night and had stayed there all night, some nights doing work. One night I remember she was leaving, walking by and she walks by my office to go out every day at the Essence office. And she, you know, stopped and asked me, hey, what are you working on? I can't even remember what it was. I'm like, oh, I'm doing this. I'm working on this story to have all this stuff to do. And I remember she told me she is the editor in chief and I am the entertainment editor. It makes her think that I don't know how to manage my day. Right. You knew what I was going to say, right? And I'm thinking, oh, I'm, well, I wasn't uh, consciously trying to prove, but you know, of course I'm thinking, especially at 20 something, I'm staying late at work because I have so much to do. She's thinking, do you have too much to do? Like I'm the editor in chief. I know I got a lot of stuff to do and I'm leaving and you're still here. Why are you still here? What's going on? And I remember thinking, wow, I never, I never forgot that. So that's more than 20 years ago. But again, this idea of proving and pushing, and even if I was enjoying it, well, when am I going to cut off, right? When am I going to leave and take care of me and do whatever 20-something-year-old would have been doing at that time? So I think we have to learn how to assess the big picture from a work standpoint and then from a, a health standpoint. And, and we and we, and we got to learn how to set boundaries, yes, right? Because healthy boundaries. Healthy boundaries because self-care is important, but I want to take it a little further, soul care. Yes. Because to your point, so many underlying conditions can be exacerbated by stress. And it's not always physical, it's mental. And those are the things that you can't see and sometimes you can't diagnose. Um, and those things have a trickle effect on everything else that we do, right? When you become stressed, it manifests itself in your body and your mental and all of that. So self-care has progressed on to soul care. So mm -hmm. we got to set those boundaries.
Amen. We got to set those boundaries. Um, in chapter nine, you talk about removing the mask. And I love, love, love this chapter because I call that being um, authentic, right? So we show up every day, right? With perfectly red lips. You know how I am about those red lips, right? That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Face perfectly beat, right? But, you know, we're we're behind a facade, right? We're trying to conceal our true feelings. And somebody told me, that you should not be a different person in the office than you are at home. That's mm. just not the way the world should work anymore. You should, Carmetria should be able to show up as Carmetria and talk about what she did on the weekend and just be her authentic self, you know, obviously in a respectful and professional way. So let's talk about how we as women should create safe spaces for other women to remove the mask, right? And how we should be able to remove the mask and not be, you know, not be judged. Because really when we remove the mask, we're helping someone, we're sharing our lesson that someone else may be experiencing the same thing, but because we don't want to be judged, we don't talk about it. So how do we create safe spaces for women to remove the mask and to really talk about how they feel? I think what you said is so key, this idea of judgment, not judging each other, whether you're judging the person of, you know, you're, you're uh, saying that something that they did is not something you approve of, or you're judging the person and saying relationship goals, life goals, they're doing all the things and they have it all together. And they, that puts pressure not only on you because you likely, I won't say, I won't project this, but likely you feel that you are for some reason less than whatever that person is doing. And it, it feeds into this idea that this person has to hold up this image of what everybody thinks they are, right? If we all get sort of, again, caught up in this, it gets us all caught up in this idea of we have to maintain this sort of image and this mask. And in the book, I talked to Lisa Brown Alexander, who is a woman who shares just how she was really suffering under the mask and how it wasn't something that she was hiding because things were going so poorly, which is something I think we should make sure to mention. Sometimes things are going so well that you feel the need to keep the mask on, right? So it's not even that you're pretending that at least by things, we mean things on the surface, like your job is going, her business was growing. She had a great, beautiful, still does great, beautiful family. All the things that we'd be like, girl, you are goals. You've got it going on, all those things. So she's trying to maintain again, this image but there was just something. And sometimes you don't even know what that something is. Just like we talked about, sometimes you don't know what the support is that you need, which is very real, but just being open to it. Or like you said, being authentic about what you're going through in a safe space. So to answer your question, how do we create safe spaces? Sometimes it's not your family. Sometimes it's not your friends. Hopefully, you know, it is. That's beautiful if it is. But sometimes it's a therapist. Sometimes it's uh, someone at your church or your your spiritual place. Sometimes it's alone time just with you and your journal and meditation and prayer. You have to decide what works really best for you in order to get to that space where you feel safe to just be yourself. Uh, so I think that's one of the things we have to learn to do. A couple of things, uh, as I mentioned, one, make sure that we're not being judgmental of other people. And again, whether that's judging them, whether we disagree with what they're doing or judging and thinking everything that they do is perfect. And then also, as you mentioned earlier, grace for ourselves. What am I really feeling? Yes, everything on the surface looks like it's on and popping, but something is suffering inside. Who can I talk to about this? How can I get through this? 
what can I read? Who can I talk to? Again, you know, what does that look like? Is that family? Is that restructuring some relationships? I think one of the most uh, powerful tips that I received about this idea of cultivating your environment, your relationship is from this woman, Michelle Villalobos, who talked about your anchors versus your engines. So anchors, right, are the people who want to keep you in place or weigh you down or you think about a ship with an anchor. And it's not necessarily, quote unquote, haters, but it's just people who, for whatever reason, they're used to you being a certain way or maybe it's people you grew up with or, again, maybe it's family and they want to keep you in that particular place for whatever reason. Maybe it's because of safety. You know, they don't want you to go out and try this thing. I talk, I talk about my parents often. They love me to death, but I am still their baby, even though I'm 100 years old. But I'm an entrepreneur and they just are terrified to death, right? So I can't share certain things with them at a certain point along the journey. I can share the results, but they can't handle the vision part. It's like, it's just too much, right? But then on the other side, there's engines. And those are the people who hold you to your highest or, again, create a safe space for you to be vulnerable with them, whether that's, again, a, a great friend, therapist, I have a business coach, whatever that looks like for you. Those are your engines. So it's not that you want to cut off anchors. Some people you do need to cut off. Like some people just, you know, they got to go. Healthy boundaries, girl. Yes, absolutely. But other folks, you might just need to restructure the relationship so that you have a space where you can be, take off the mask and be yourself. You know, part of wearing the mask are as women, we grow up with limited beliefs. And we hold on to those even as adult women. And one of my limited beliefs was my grandmother told me years ago, and I think it was by virtue of being from the South and just that generation of women, she always told me little girls should be seen and not heard. Mm -hmm. Little girls should be seen and not heard. And being eight or nine years old, you really don't know how to process that. And I believe that until college, right? You know, I always had a big personality, was always intellectually curious, but really dimmed my light because I believed little girls should be seen. And I heard be quiet. Nobody hears. Nobody wants to hear what you have to say. And a breaking point for me was in college when I raised my hand in my marketing class and I answered the question and people were just floored that I could, that I even talked. Right. Because I would go to class and just sit in the back and really observe. And my teacher said, I want to hear more from you. So how do we, you know, one thing that I'm really talking to other women about is how do we dispel the limited beliefs and turn those into limitless truths? Because that's so important because so many of us are harboring what we think um, is a belief and it's really not. So should we apply your framework um, to limitless beliefs and how do we get rid of those to really know how to get over I got it. Wow, that's a powerful question. And I love actually what you shared. I think your advice was probably the best, this idea of turning limiting beliefs into limitless truths. Is that what you said? Yes, that's, I mean, whoo, that's powerful. I'm definitely going to quote you on that one. Um, I, I just, girl, that's right. Put it in. Listen, that might be the title. That's beautiful. Or the subtitle, something. Listen, you are on. That is beautiful, honestly. And, and powerful, not even just beautiful. But what I will say, and again, I, I don't have any better advice than that. I think what you just said is, is perfect. But what I will um, hone in on of what you did mention, this idea of your, gran your grandmother, you said, right, from the South, 
Yes, your grandma. So my mom, my parents are uh, much older than me. They're in their 90s, but they're from the South, Alabama in the 1920s. And just like I mentioned before, there are, there are they have certain fears about things just because of they want me to be safe, right? So your grandmother, I'm sure, was telling you that out of an idea of keeping you safe or for you to be a good girl and that kind of thing. So one of the things that I've been exploring a lot, Carmitria, is this idea of what's called historical trauma. And it's this phrase that uh, a woman a Native American woman, Maria Yellow Horse Braveheart, beautiful name, um, came up with, and it's this idea of, well, she studied at first, she's a social worker. She studied at first Native Americans and how they were traumatized uh, from when they the country America was colonized, right? So their hair was cut, which was very much against their culture. The children were put in boarding schools and all the other terrible things we see that were done to Native Americans. But then she looked at how it is applied to other groups. African-Americans, people who are descendants of enslaved Africans, obviously there is a lot of trauma there. And then like your grandmother, my mother, my father grew up in Jim Crow and these times of you were, she's probably saying little girls are meant to be seen and not heard. The only thing she didn't say is to stay safe. Like we don't think about that. Like for them, it was about safety. You weren't allowed to be, you, you were an outlier for sure if you were bold and ambitious and you could you know, not live. There were people who literally were killed for asking for what they wanted. Or So, you know, there's a lot of things we have to remember. And then other communities, of course, the Jewish community, Holocaust survivors, and then you look at Chinese Americans, internment camps here, what is the historical trauma there? So I've been looking at that a lot more even since writing the book. Maybe that'll be in my next one, just this idea of how do those things affect the way we ask for support today? And I think that's something that we have to acknowledge and remember too. So I'm so glad you mentioned that example because we get fed that. And like you said, you believe that until college because why would you not? But then as you get older, hopefully, and a lot of us don't do this, you sort of process, well, why would my grandmother say something like that? What was she going through? or What did she experience at the time? What is her intention? Her intention likely was to keep you safe, not to necessarily keep you quiet. Right. 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 So, but right. Yeah. But 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 I didn't understand that until I got older and right. then the light went off and I said, you know, she didn't mean be quiet. She probably really meant know when to speak up and know when to shut up. Right. Because mm-hmm. you got to kind of know it's like a double Dutch game. Right. Do mm-hmm. I say something? Do I not? And to your point, it's all about safety. Um, you're right generational with my grandparents mm-hmm. um you, you you weren't as bold and boisterous being a black woman in the south that's right so you just you know observed and really knew when to speak up and when to shut up so to your point i didn't realize what she meant until i got older but as an 8 or 9 year old i took it in the literal fashion little girl should be seen and not heard so i just you know i went quiet so thank you Thank you for that perspective. Staying safe. I didn't think about that, but that is um, that's life through their eyes. And I'm right. I'm glad. I'm, thank you for that point. Um, so the million dollar question. So my girlfriends and I have this question all the time while we're having our cute little drinks or if we are traveling. Can women have it all? And you talk about that in your book. <laughs> can we can we have it all? Yeah, I think yes. And I know that's controversial for some people. But the thing I think is you have to define your all for yourself, right? I think we are all, no pun intended, but we are all trying to achieve 
everybody else's all, what people either say we should do or what we should want or where we should be in our journey at this point, whether that's age or career, success or, you know, business revenue or whatever these things are, our spiritual journey. This is where everybody, quote unquote, should be. But what is my all? My all is going to be different than your all. Your all is going to be different than your girlfriends that you have drinks with, right? Every, there might be some similarities, but really, I think it's such a self-defined thing. And a lot of us don't take the time to define it for ourselves. We're busy pursuing, even if not consciously, all the other things that people say we should do. And again, whether it's looking at the social media highlight reel that everybody posts, I should be traveling, I should be speaking, I should be. Sometimes I even have to say to myself, but I don't even like doing that. I don't even want to do that. You know, whatever it is, it's like, that's not even, I'm just happy for that person. It's inspiring that they are doing their all, but what is my all for me? So I think you can have it. I mean, there's debate about having it all at the same time and all those other things is what it is. But honestly, have you even defined what your all is for you? And in chapter two of the book, I talk about um, an actual exercise you can go through to look at different areas of your life where you can write out what is your all. And I will say to you right now, because my 20 something year old all like who wanted to stay at the office till 11 at night, uh, that is not my 40 something year old all. You know, she don't even want to work every day, much less 11 o'clock at night. So, you know, it, it changes over time. But I think that's why it's important for us to do those assessments. Yeah, that that's good. So, ladies, we can have it all, but just define what your all is because it's different for each of us. Um, and the last question, um, you know, I think a boss chick, right? You talk in chapter six, you talk about stop being the strong one. And I remember last year, there were some memes going around on social media that said, check on, don't forget to check on your strong friends, right? Because mm -hmm. usually our strong friends are the ones, they don't say much. They may say something after they've gone through it. You know, they're low maintenance, but I think you just check on your friends, period, right? Um, right. You know, strong or the ones that are a little more mild tempered or, um, you know, I had a girlfriend, unfortunately, that lost her mom and you know, people say, she's fine. She's strong. She'll get through it. Mm. And I said, you know, really? What what happens in that one moment where she doesn't want to be strong and she needs the help? Um, so let's talk about why is, it, why is it important for us to stop being the strong one? And you talk about your girlfriend, April Robinson, um, that grew up in Kingston, Jamaica and moved to the United States. So tell us, you know, why is it important to stop being that strong girlfriend? Yeah, I think in the the way that we, um, uh, what's the word, the way that we, what the word strong uh, connotes for a lot of us, like it's the it's idea of I'm the one that always takes care of everyone or like the, the girlfriend that, that they probably said her mom died and oh, she's strong. Well, that's the, their belief about her because it's probably something that she shows up as strong, which there's nothing wrong with that. But being the strong one can sometimes mean when you need that support, or when you need that help, or even if even if you don't know you need the support, maybe she is, you know, keeping it moving, even though her mom passed. But oh, my gosh, what a beautiful thing for someone to just check on her or just say, I'm thinking about you or just let them her know that you're there for her if she needs something, you know, so I think it's important for us, as we talked about earlier, to realize what comes with being the quote unquote strong one, what does strong look like for you now strong could look like 
as we talked about earlier, being vulnerable, being authentic, being open, saying I need some support or saying I don't even know what I need right now, but here's what I'm trying to accomplish. That's what I tell people who say, well, I don't know what to ask. And that's that's real. You know, if you're trying to go into, as I mentioned, going into a new space. So I'm doing a lot more facilitating and workshops and speaking more at events and those kind of things. Yes, I've done that before, but I'm my feeling right now is how can I make that really be, especially this message from the book, out in the world in a bigger way? I don't know the exact question, but I can share, hey, this is what I'm creating right now. Even that is asking for support and putting it out there and being vulnerable while still being strong. So strong can be, just as we talked about defining your all, how are you defining strong? Is strong pretending that everything is okay? Is strong always being the go-to person? Is strong could look like, as we talked about, having healthy boundaries. You know, so I think it's important for us to think about that. How are we showing up? Because what I find a lot of times, I don't know about you, I have girlfriends who get mad because nobody supports them, but then they don't make room for anyone to support them. Right. It's like, well, you can't, nobody, but that, I mean, we're just, we're, we are responding to the way you tell the world how to treat you, right? Like they say in relationships, you teach the world how to love you. You teach people how to treat you. So it's about being clear about who you are and how you want to show up and how you want to receive that support. Yeah. Like I always tell people, um, the people that surround strong women, they want to help us. Right. Mm -hmm. But because we don't ask, (laughs) they think, oh, she got it. She got Mm -hmm. it. And guess what? When you do ask, they are so happy to do so. They are waiting in the wings. That's it. Because they want to help, they want to support you, but we don't ask. And to the earlier question, sometimes we don't know how. Mm -hmm. Um, So ladies, begin to ask for help. Ask for help. Um, The people around you want to help you because they want want you to do your best and be your best. So thank you for that. So um, I'd like to always end the, the interview with rapid fire questions, just so the listeners can learn a little bit more about Elaine and see, you know, maybe what they have in common with you. So I'm just going to ask you three fun questions. Um, uh, what's your favorite hobby when you're not talking about, you know, helping women get over? I got it. What's Elaine doing for fun? What am I doing for fun? I love to kiki with my girlfriends. That's one of my most fun things. We have a a group chat that's just, you know, they say behind every strong woman, there's a a group chat, right? Uh, My girlfriends in group chat, we, last night we had a Zoom call, which was hilarious uh, because, you know, everybody's using Zoom these days. And I do that because most of them are out of town. I'm in Decatur, Georgia, as you know, most of my girlfriends are from DC and up in different uh, places. So I love to just get together with them. And like we talked about, check on them, whether it's individually or in the group. Um, That's something that brings me joy. And then also exercising. I know you love to exercise. I see your workouts. But but going for a run is really relaxing for me. I know it doesn't sound like fun, but it's just a good thing for my mind and body. Um, That's something that I do when I'm off the computer and off the clock. Oh, you're, you, you're, you're good on that jump rope. That's not something I've mastered. I've seen you on the jump rope. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Something fun. Yeah. To change it up. Right. Exactly. If you could have a superpower, what would it be? Hmm. I think bringing more, uh, I don't know. I just think the world needs more compassion. I'm trying to do my part to share that and spread that self-compassion and compassion out in the world with all the things that are happening. I don't know how that manifests as a superpower, but that would be mine. Just 
you know, Captain Compassionate. I don't know how I would spread that, but I just feel like it would change, just change us all drastically because right now it just feels like it's lacking in a lot of ways. If there was a movie about the life of Elaine Fluker, who would play you? Who would you want to play you? Oh, who would I want to play me? I think I would want Kimberly Elise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's yeah. a great actress. She, she is put portray quiet. She knows how to portray power. I think I've gone through those phases in my life. I'm a quiet quote unquote person. I used to struggle when people used to say, Why are you so shy? And I never felt shy, but I was quiet. But it was a choice, you know. I just like your grandma said, I'm just listening, I'm watching all of y'all. I'm getting all kinds of information, right? So um, so yeah, I love Kimberly Elise. She would be excellent for the adult me. I don't know about the child me. Yes, that's a good point, right? Quiet, but powerful. And that is you, right? You're very, not soft-spoken, but mild-mannered. And just by, you know, function of you writing this book, wow, it's something we need. Get over, I got it. What a powerful book to write to empower women. So ladies, we gotta get over, I got it. Stop playing superwoman, get support and remember, that having it all doesn't mean doing it all alone. Elaine, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate your strategies and your framework in helping us get over I Got It. So, thank you so um, much, from all, yeah, from all the listeners of Mind Your Business, we wish you much, much success. And thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and leave the show a rating. I'll see you in the next episode. And remember, mind your business.